0: What a weekend it was. Lots of great sports in El Paso and uh, throughout the country, folks. And uh, congratulations to FC Juarez making the playoffs for the first time in the history of their uh, franchise at this level. Liga Mechies, which is now Liga BBVA Mechies, since they've got a BBVA Compass sponsorship. Uh, but what a weekend it was. Lots to cover as we get yourself ourselves live here today. At uh, Border City L House. It's our Monday night home. 1506 Lee Trevino. It's pint night tonight. That's right. Three, four, five dollar pints as we get ready for the Rams and Niners. Looking forward to that. Also, uh, if you would like to uh, take advantage of uh, some of the other great specials, four dollar fireball, five dollar Jack and Jack flavors, and three, four, five dollar pints to go along with the terrific menu. Half pound burgers. They've got delicious wings. Uh, And and I'll tell you what, uh, brisket pizza, anything uh, that your taste buds uh, will uh, will want and desire, we've got them here out at the Ale House. And we're giving away great prizes, too, at the halftime of the football game uh, for you Rams and uh, Niners fans. Let me tell you what we've got. Courtesy of all that music and video. Um, and they are located in their brand-new, remodeled and expanded spot, Fountains of Farrah, directly below the Best Buy parking lot. And they've got uh, some great stuff for us. We're going to be giving away – Uh, 49ers and Rams uh, lunch bags. We have the insulated lunch bags. These are awesome. We've got keychains, and we've got DVDs. Complete history of the 49ers on DVD, and the 1999 Rams Super Bowl championship on DVD. We're also going to be giving away some great uh, shirts. I've got a Bacon Fest shirt. I have a shirt also for the Greater El Paso Football Showcase that we're going to be giving away here at halftime, not to mention Uh, We've got some very cool sunglasses, courtesy of Casadores, along with a bottle opener. We'll be giving those away here at halftime as well. You want to win? Free to sign up. All you got to do is jump down here to the Ale House, watch Monday Night Football with us. Free to play, free to win, and all we ask is you have a good time and uh, take care of your wait staff and bartenders. And that's it, folks. That is it. All right. We've got a busy show, as I mentioned, three hours today. Uh, Lester Bedford's going to join us at 6 to talk about the Texas Boxing Hall of Fame. So I'm excited about that conversation that's going to be coming up live here at 6. But in the meantime, Adrian Broadus is with us. Chema is in our 600 ESPN El Paso Lubingo Studios. Welcome aboard, Chema, Adrian, and man oh man, where do we start after uh, what was a uh, great weekend? for uh, for a lot of football fans in and around the Sun City.
1: Yeah, I think it's a it's pretty easy where to start off today, Steve. This it's uh it was a big weekend for the UTEP Miners as they won their first game in the Eastern Time Zone. Uh all the fans who hate that stat and and want to, us to stop talking talking about it, uh well now they've uh, gotten their wish and it's come true. The Miners snap that losing streak in Eastern Time Zone games and defeat the Charlotte 49ers.
0: Why would people be sick of that? I mean, the fact is they've never won a game in the time zone until Saturday. I mean, that is a a—it is a crazy stat. I mean, it's one of those stats that you've just been waiting forever to break, and now they finally have been able to break it. So I'm not exactly sure why fans are sick of it. They should be celebrating that it's over and done with, and we don't have to talk about it anymore because they finally got the win.
1: Yeah, it's very true. I, I think that fans became so cynical toward the end of this stat, Steve, just because it had been brought up left and right. But that makes it even more special. I'm with you completely. I think that by snapping this uh losing streak that they had in the eastern time zone, uh, you know, and all those games, it just showed that UTEP was finally able to get over the hump, finally able able to overcome adversity. Uh and, you know, they, they had many points in that game where it could have flipped the other way to Charlotte's yep. favor. And I'm not I'm not telling you that Charlotte's the best team by any means, but uh, for the Miners to come out with a win uh, in these kind of conditions, I think it was pretty impressive for this team. Do you know how many bad
0: teams on the East Coast UTEP has lost to during that streak? A ton of them. And, And I've always, look, my dad told me something a long, long time ago when he was still around. He said, doesn't matter how it goes, how impressive it is, who you play, a win's a win. And when it all comes down to it, a W's a W. And I agree. And by the way, um, I've, I watched uh, you know a good chunk of that game Saturday, and as far as I'm concerned, that was a garbage targeting call. I felt like that play, um, you know, which ultimately led to the final touchdown by Charlotte. I, I saw that play as leading with your shoulder, but they happened. To, they happened to bang heads during the process, but I didn't see leading with your head, and it's a shame. Because if you think about it, Adrian, the the biggest problem with uh, that play is ultimately the fact that the Miners are now uh, going to be without um, one of their defensive backs in Tyreek James. For the first half of the uh, La Tech game as a result of the targeting call
1: yeah very questionable call for sure uh, I, I'm with you hundred percent on this one I think it was one of those where uh, he definitely you know kind of knocked the shoulder instead of the head um, they, I, I don't I don't even understand why this one was called but it was very costly because that if you remember oh. that was a fourth and 25 miners had it it was game right there they could have made this one look a lot of, a lot better on their side instead uh, you know they they get that penalty they score right away uh, Chris Reynolds was knocked out three separate times and that was also one of the plays where he was knocked out so that time yep. uh, that it took to review that play, to actually go back and see if it was targeting, that allowed Chris Reynolds to get back in the mix uh, and he threw you know he threw another touchdown pass on that drive to seal it on that one so uh, Charlotte still had a puncher's chance by then. Um, I, I know there were some questions today at the weekly press conference when it came to the late game management by head coach Dana Dimmel, but my thing is when UTEP has a lead, they have to be better at protecting that lead and I don't know if that's that's you know, uh, stringing together more first downs offensively and, and, t- and taking control of time of possession or if it's scoring more points offensively. But they yep. have to be better when it comes to protecting a lead moving forward.
0: No, I agree with you. Look, when it's 41-21 in the fourth quarter, the game should be over. With 12 minutes left, you shouldn't have to sweat out the final few minutes. 100% right about that. And truth is, they finished with 41 points. So the fact is they had 41 off that defensive score, And then the offense couldn't put any points up after that. And it's a shame because you're right. You shouldn't have to worry about trying to hold off Charlotte. And the fact is, if they would have blown that lead, that 20-point lead, and lose by a point, 42-41, it would be a colossal failure after what was such a positive game. But it didn't happen. And the fact is, they still got the win. They're 3-3. And And you want to know something? That defense, um, you know, scored a couple touchdowns. They were in Reynolds' face the entire game. They were hitting hard. They were making plays. Um, you know, that's all you can ask. And quite frankly, Charlotte's off defense is terrible. So you would have thought that the Miners could have been able to wear down that defense in the fourth quarter with a 20-point lead. But unfortunately, Adrian, they, they weren't able to do what they needed to do till the very end. But they still escaped with a win. That's the most important thing. Now they're 3-3, three and three, heading into Latex Tech Saturday.
1: Yeah, to echo, echo what you were saying, a win's a win. And I think there were a lot of fans who said, well, Charlotte is a team that isn't very good and the Miners should have uh, not let him come back in the game, which is all true, but those are the same fans who, if UTEP were to lose that game on Saturday, they would be saying, hey, that's Charlotte. How could UTEP lose to Charlotte? And the point is, there is just a, a segment of UTEP fans that can't be happy no matter what. And uh, there are the other UTEP fans who are really happy about UTEP evening their record being 500 on the season and I think that's how the football team looks at it I mean when you talk to players and coaches they feel like momentum is on their side they feel like they, they have all the momentum going into their final uh you know conference USA road game before they hit a bye uh you know they hit a bye week and uh this game coming up against La Tech it's another winnable game for the minors if they're able to play like they have these past two weeks
0: I got news for you. There's a lot of parity right now in Conference USA this year. North Texas rebounded and destroyed Florida Atlantic 45-28. That I did not expect after what's happened to North Texas this season and, and FAU. I also did not expect Rice to beat UAB. Uh, and scored 21 points in the second half and beat them 28-24. That was a surprise to me. I did not expect Florida International to go into Cruces and beat the Aggies 21-7 and hold New Mexico State to 7 points. There's plenty of surprises, but there seems to be more parity early on in Conference USA than we would have thought, at least at the outset.
1: And that really tells you that when you're trying to piece together the wins for the Miners, it could be a middle Tennessee team that ended up beating Miami. It could be Florida International, who has hasn't really won uh, against any quality opponent this year. But the point is, is if you want to go off all the, the rest of the UTEP schedule and try to pick which wins, which ones that they won't win, I think it's really difficult just knowing that every game kind of going into it is 50-50 because of the parity, because everybody's kind of on the same level, and it almost makes you wonder, like, going into a game, which team will have fewer mistakes,
0: and that team usually ends up on top. Hey, the fact is this. When the Miners lost to New Mexico, nobody expected them to suddenly come back and win these last two games. Nobody. All right? You didn't expect them to beat Boise. You didn't expect them to beat Charlotte. They did both. So the fact is, we can talk till we're blue in the face about UTEP, but they've resurrected their season in the last two weeks. Now we'll wait and see how the rest of it goes. But they've got... They're back to being even again. They're 3-3 three and three with, um, you know, with, with six remaining. And Adrian... Uh, La Tech is not going to be a, a walk in the park for them because we've seen what they've done uh, prior to this, this bye week they just had. You know, La Tech puts themselves in a the spot to right now. Uh, they're 1-3. They're 0-3 on the road, but they've won their only home game. And the truth is that if UTEP goes into Russ and it beats La Tech, fans will probably say, ah, oh, they're beating a 1-4 team. But look who they've played so far this year. Louisiana Tech, um, you know, they've played – Missouri. They played Clemson on the road. Those are two gimme losses. They hung 52 on Stephen F Austin and then they just lost 38-14 last week to South Alabama, a team that's 3 and 1 and 2 and 0 at home. So, it's hard to gauge right now what to expect from Law Tech because when you've played two of your four games against Power 5 opponents, you don't really know for sure what uh, what will happen when they meet the Miners next Saturday.
1: Yeah, I mean, South Alabama, if somebody wants to say oh, that's not a good team, but well, South Alabama was one point away from knocking off the now and still unbeaten UCLA Bruins uh, at the time, and that was just two weeks ago. So uh, La Tech, that record is definitely skewed. It's, uh, of course, Sonny Cumbie's first year at the helm with the Bulldogs, so he's trying to revitalize that program. He's trying to also kickstart that program in a positive way being his first year so they're going to want to get a big win at home uh, to, to begin Conference USA action uh, the Miners have an advantage in that they've played a couple uh, Conference USA opponents so far and they've they've been battle tested early on but you wonder about things like hey fatigue uh, Miners have not have played uh, you know in consecutive weeks without any kind of rest any kind of break or any bye week or stoppage like that uh, on the other side you go up against a lot of tech team who's a little bit fresh when it comes to conference usa opponents so uh yeah i'm just interested in this matchup for so many reasons but the la tech bulldogs being one and three that's such a, a misleading no, a record right there for how good of a team they can be
0: so again i mean with all these teams that are uh, around the 500 or below mark in conference usa uh fans are every, they're always going to say whoever they win well they, they're not doing anything well listen hey the win's a win man they're three and three They've now all they've got to do is go three of their last six to go bowling, and maybe better than that if they can keep staying hot. They have confidence. They, you know, Jadrian Taylor, who had that hundred-yard return. He called in a minor talk after the game to talk about it with you. Yeah, that's right, and uh, I think he was excited
1: that he got his swagger back a little bit. That uh, the team was a little bit more juiced in the past couple weeks and and had a lot of you know motivation following their uh di- you know their disappointing loss to New Mexico. But hey, Steve, if Utah plays played like they did against Charlotte and Boise, this team could very well be a four and one team up to this point. They could have beaten a team like New Mexico and or Texas, but you can't change what happened in the. past so now you look at the future with uh, a road game against La Tech which who are very beatable and to close out the month of October you're hosting FAU that's a long road trip for Florida Atlantic and you're hosting Middle Tennessee I think those are two beatable opponents as well we could talk about a we could be talking about a very different uh, team for UTEP going into the month of November if they're able to have success here in this month
0: well that's the question look if they go into Ruston Play well and have a chance to make it three in a row before they go to FAU, and and who knows what happens there. And then all of a sudden you got a nice little you got a nice little win streak, and you get the fans going again. So I'm I listen. I think that the miners right now are in a spot where they've brought their season back. Hopefully they get the fans back. and And the, th- the truth is this: um, things were not looking good a couple of weeks ago. Not at all. We were hearing all the the negative, and now they've won their last two and. Say what you want about Charlotte and Boise. Boise just beat the crap out of San Diego State this past weekend, and they had never won on the East Coast. And there was plenty of losses against bad football teams, that they couldn't win. So I don't care how bad Charlotte is or whatever. Hey, a win's a win, man. You got to take it how you can get it. And that's the thing. So sometimes it's better to win ugly than not win at all. Asked the Green Bay Packers what that was like yesterday, barely getting by Bailey Zappi at home, who, by the way, I think when the smoke clears, I think Bailey Zappi is going to be the franchise quarterback in New England.
1: Wow, that's a blazing hot take there, Steve. Wow, over
0: Mac Jones already? You ready for Bailey Zappi? I saw enough Bailey Zappi at Houston Baptist in Western Kentucky to realize that if they would have just given him the keys to the car yesterday in overtime and let him air the ball out, they probably would have won that game. But what do you expect to do when you hand the ball off and you play ultra-conservative when you're at the 50 on the first two plays? You're afraid to put the ball in your quarterback's hands. Then on third down, you have to pass. When everybody knows it, he gets blitzed pressured, and then they have to punt and end up losing the football game. you got to have a little confidence in your third string QB. Yeah, I'm totally, I I understand where
1: you're going with that, Um, and I really liked Bailey Zappi's performance. It kind of reminded me the strong performance another uh, Conference USA quarterback had in Mike White when he, uh, you know, first came onto the scene for the Jets. We all know how that tailed off, right? And uh, that's the big thing with backup quarterbacks is they look good when they're first onto the scene and they're first playing, but can they uh, sustain that kind of success we'll see this week if Bailey Zappi gets the nod at starting quarterback I think he's a way better quarterback than Brian Hoyer at this point and uh, I would be going with Zappi right now just uh you know while Mac Jones is rehabbing uh that injury that he has
0: happy you brought up Mike White since he was also a Western Kentucky quarterback very nice Adrian nicely uh nice nice parallel there to throw that in between Zappi and and White all I know is Bailey Zappi Uh, threw for a ridiculous amount of yards at at Houston Baptist, and last year threw for almost, listen to these numbers, okay? 5,967 passing yards last year, 62 touchdowns, 11 interceptions with Western Kentucky. Let that sink in for a minute. I mean seriously, those those are video game type
1: of numbers, and I know that uh, Western Kentucky was throwing the ball all the different ti- all the time last year under Zappy, but that you it's because you have a quarterback who can do that. It's because you have a a quarterback who can throw in an air raid system, and you can have him have uh, upwards of forty pass attempts every single game. Now, do what? I think the the New England Patriots will do that? No way. But I, I think they could give him a little bit of a chance to at least show what he has through the air, because I, I think they'll be pleasantly surprised.
0: Zappy. And- Averaged 426 yards of passing per game last season at Western Kentucky. Most offenses in Conference USA don't average 426 per game. He was doing it on a game-by-game basis just in the air alone. So, yeah, I've seen enough Bailey Zappi. I feel like I know what he can do. And all you got to do is just let him get him comfortable in the NFL. And I do think he is is, is starting quarterback potential. I've loved him since Baptist. Don't think I'm going to change my thoughts about Bailey Zappi anytime soon. All right. 20 past. Good to get started here on a Monday. Your phones, 505-6009. We haven't gotten to the Cowboys yet. We haven't had a chance to talk to the rest of the NFL in college or preview tonight's Monday night game. Aaron Judge is still stuck on 61. I'll talk more about that as well as we send it over to Charlie. one we'll and to get our first traffic update of the afternoon. Welcome back. Sports Talk Live, Border City, El House. Rams and... 49ers tonight, come down, watch it with us, enjoy $5 Jack and Jack flavors, $4 Fireball, three, four, $5 pints every Monday night here at the Yale House, win great prizes courtesy of 600 ESPN El Paso and our friends at All That Music and Video, located again in their newly remodeled and expanded spot at the Fountains of Farrah, directly below the Best Buy parking lot, check them out. And man, oh, man, uh, they got so many things there we'll talk about later. Uh, in the meantime, phones are open for business. 505-6009 is our telephone number. That's 505-6009. Uh, you can also message us on our mobile app, powered by First American Bank, uh, and any questions you might have. In fact, hey, I want to welcome in, Uh, UTEP Zay and also Chema to the program. Uh, Both of those two are are in with Adrian in our 600 ESPN El Paso Lubingo Studios. Uh, Lisa messages us, Chema. uh, After wanting to congratulate the UTEP Miners on a great win, Lisa wants to know, why did Kelton Moss get ejected? Lisa, do you have the answer? uh, um, Chema, do you have the answer for Lisa?
2: I do have the answer. So, Kelton Moss... It was after the half beginning, maybe like 13 minutes in. Not 13 minutes in, but 13 minutes left of the half. After Boise had scored twice against UTEP, uh, Kelton Moss threw it. Boise or Charlotte? Oh, actually, you're right, Charlotte, Charlotte. So after um, Charlotte scored twice, he um, threw a punch at the center, which led to an ejection.
0: Okay, so he was ejected for punching the center of uh, of charlotte in the game okay now that's interesting because adrian i don't know how long he'll have to miss is that a full game when you're ejected for throwing a punch yeah, I'm not sure if that's a
1: full game, but I but I do know that, um, you know, the Tyreek James situation is going to be one that we're going to have to monitor for uh, a possible half a suspension. I'm not yep. sure about that one, like on conduct, if it was after the play or if it was a personal foul during the play. Like th- that one's going to have to be uh, we're going to have to ask the avail- availability of him.
0: But you lose Kelton Moss and Tyreek James for a portion of that game against La Tech, that's a blow. That's a big blow for UTEP. Yeah,
1: especially because uh, Kelton Moss is that run stopper. La Tech, uh, is, what we've seen so far is that they run the ball pretty well. So that that would be a little worrying for me early on is how are they going to stop the run if if they're not able to have Kelton Moss from the get-go.
0: Zay, what was your biggest takeaway from the UTEP win Saturday? Um, They played
1: really well. I think the offense showed up. I think they scored. I mean, I think they they proved that they can score in the red zone, that they can convert on opportunities in the red zone. You know, at the start of the season they didn't really do that well. So, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me.
0: All right, red zone production. I agree. You, you want to get points in the red zone. They were able to do that. Um, and the field goal game has been great, hasn't it? Gavin Beckley's been unbelievable.
1: Yes, he has. He's how close I don't even remember how close he is, but he's about to break that record.
0: Yeah, it's it's he's he's approaching and He's also one uh, CUSA Special Teams Player of the Week for the second time this season. So that's also very, very good. Um, after the uh, bottom-of-the-hour center break, we'll play for you the Minor Talk Montage, what Adrian and Sal were up to after the game and all the calls and takes that they both uh, had a chance to take after UTEP's win over Charlotte, and we'll also give out some of those awards that you heard on Minor Talk. Chema, you tell me when I asked the question to Zay, what do you think is your biggest takeaway from watching UTEP and Charlotte? If you had to pick one, you know, one thing right now uh, that's different from what it was earlier in the season, what is it?
2: I want to say, um, Gavin running the ball. That's what I want to say is, is that you didn't see that in the beginning of the year. He did that. With, he started that with Boise. He's continuing with Charlotte. I think that's really happening that UTEP offense a lot.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, when we talked about Gavin Hardison, one of the things we said is, you know, he's always in the pocket trying to create and almost brings a lot of pressure on himself when he's not running or throwing it away. But you look at what he did uh, this past week, and, um, you know, again, five carries, 54 yards. That's a great, uh, great stat And, Gemma, you hit the nail on the head – Adrian, it's something I was talking about on the air a lot these last couple of weeks. Why can't you see Gavin go out and run with the ball? Now he has, and it's making a huge difference in that offense.
1: Yeah, I love how they ran him in the first half, and he was running really nicely. Like he would get out of the pocket, he'd he'd scramble outside and get the first down. Like he was doing everything it took to uh, gain yards on the ground using his legs. But my biggest problem was why did they abandon that in the second half? I, I thought on those third down conversions that they desperately needed down the stretch to try to put the nail in the coffin and put Charlotte out of the mix, do a bootleg and just play action, have Gavin run it himself yep. and, and do yep. a quarterback keeper instead of running it every single time down the middle with uh, Hankins and AY. I thought they could have sprinkled in a little bit more designed quarterback runs in the second half when they really needed it.
0: Would have kept the team guessing. That's for sure. I agree with you on that one. I do. All right. More in a moment as sports talk rolls along, but we have hit the bottom of the hour, the Minor Talk Montage coming up right after uh, Adrian and this Sports Center update.
1: Thank you very much, Steve. Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa has been ruled out for Sunday's game against the Jets as he continues to progress through concussion protocol. Head coach Mike McDaniels said today, There is no time ta- timeline for Tagovailoa's return after he left the Dolphins' 27-15 loss to the Bengals in Week 4. Teddy Bridgewater will start Sunday in his place. Tagovailoa was evaluated for concussions after a similar situation during the Dolphins' game. ...against the Bills in Week 3. He hit the back of his head on the ground and stumbled while trying to return to the huddle after the play. He was immediately taken to the locker room with a head injury, the team announced at the time. He passed the locker room evaluation and returned to the game after halftime... ...with both Tug of Iloa and the Dolphins clarifying that his stumble was caused by a back injury. Let's go over to more news today, this out of the NFL as well. And bad news if you're a Denver Broncos fan, as running back Javante Williams who is the Broncos' leading rusher, will miss the rest of the season because of a torn ACL in his right knee. Sources say that Williams will have surgery in the coming weeks. Williams underwent tests including an MRI that also showed a tear in his uh, right LCL and uh, sources confirmed that also outside linebacker Randy Gregory will undergo arthroscopic surgery to trim the meniscus in his right knee. Confirming a report by NFL Network, Gregory ACL is intact and he's uh, expected to miss two to six weeks. He was sent for an MRI today after he suffered the injury with just under six minutes left in the game. That's a look at your Sports Center update for 600 ESPN El Paso. I'm Adrian Bratis.
0: All right, Adrian, thank you very much. As promised, uh, let's send it out right now to. Uh, Minor talk and give you a little montage of what it was like when Adrian and Sal and all of our listeners and callers took the airwaves following uh, the postgame show on Saturday.
1: Well, UTEP has done it. They have snapped the streak in Eastern time zone games. UTEP is now 1-26-1 in Eastern time zone games. After what a roller coaster of a finish against the Charlotte 49ers, UTEP 41, Charlotte 35. Uh, just a back and forth contest from the get-go. All right, let's go to the co-host of Minor Talk, Sal Montes. What did you think of this one? Two teams who
3: desperately wanna
1: wanna save their season, I guess if you
3: want to put it that way. There's more more faith in the miners going into this one because they're coming off of that win over Boise State, and then Charlotte just, just having a tough time all year. But basically, two teams who look at each other and think that it's a win game if they go out there and what do you know here that big touchdown by um by taylor in the fourth quarter that 100 yard return in my opinion proves to be the difference because look at the difference in the score
1: all right next up let's welcome on adam from the east side what's going on adam and again i think there was two drives that they could
3: have put it away and you know they just went very conservative and into the shell and charlotte knew exactly what they were gonna do and they did it that last opportunity that they could have put the game away instead of putting it back in Charlotte's hands I really felt like that was a perfect opportunity fake the handoff let Hardison use his legs get the first down and put the game to bed
1: all right next up let's welcome onto the program a standout from today's game it's Jadrian Taylor the UTEP defensive end no i never had a, i haven't had a touchdown
3: since like middle school so that was my first touchdown in a long time I I ain't going to
4: lie, it was was like a dream come true for real. I've been like, all the plays that you imagine before the game, that's what happened. Man, we knew not to fold after, you know, a couple of losses that we had, some disappointing losses. We knew not to fold, and, um, you know, I was a good leader throughout that time, and I knew that we was going to be all right. Like, we just got to stand strong. And after that Boise win, that kind of like got us on the road now, so now we got to keep on winning
1: minor is up next minor go ahead what'd you think of this game i'll tell you what i'm uh, my hat's off
4: to the guys uh they went out faced diversity again but they figured a way to win and what what amazes me is i'm i was looking at minor illustrated on the message boards they're happy but there's a bunch of them in there saying oh god we're, we're lucky to win this and all that the way i look at it sometimes it's it's better to be lucky than good
1: let's go to kevin next as minor talk continues you know, honestly, man, UTEP football should be 4-1 and one right
3: now, guys. Honestly, the way they played tonight, they could have easily beaten New Mexico. They could have easily beaten New- North Texas. But you know what? I'll take it, man. 3-3 three and three is not that bad.
0: There you go. Those are our comments uh, from a minor talk uh, presented by the Oscar. It's all-state agency. And and I think the listeners are right. We all know that if UTEP would have played those games against North Texas and, um, and, and really, New Mexico, the way they played these last two games, they'd be 4-1, and one, not 3-3. Three and three. But you want to know something? You can't change anything. Remember, the reason why the Miners lost those games, it's more to the fact that the offense struggled. And if you really notice the biggest difference in UTEP these last couple of weeks... It's the fact that the offense is putting points on the board more regularly, and they've been able to get the running game going. Adrian, that's, that's been the key. You run the ball, good things happen. And for the second game in a row, Gavin Hardison has thrown the ball very efficiently, 10 out of 14, 173 yards, three touchdowns, sacked once, no picks. So, you know, they've, they've completely flipped the script on the offensive game plan that they had in place for, uh, for those first four games. You know, uh,
1: Dana Dimmel talked about this today in his weekly press conference. First off, talking about how uh, there's been an identity shift with the offense, and, and it's right in front of our eyes. It's a run-oriented offense that uses its personnel to their best. It's Ronald a. Watt. it's uh, Dion Hankins. Didn't use a lot of Ray Flores this weekend, but I, I assume that they will be using him in the run game moving forward a lot. Uh, and, and on the other side of it, talking about the Gar- Gavin Hardison pass attempts, while Dana said Said that 14 to you know 10 to 14 pass attempts isn't what he really wants to do. He wants to actually have Gavin attempt more passes. He was just playing to what was working in that game against Charlotte, which was running the ball effectively, especially in the first half, as you saw. Um, I, I look at the Dion Hankins 34-yard run as one of those staples. As that's why you commit to the run. That's why you give Dion Hankins the ball because you want to get your running backs going, give them that kind of momentum, and look at what we saw from Dion and the. Whole, the the entire run game this past weekend
0: yeah you're right i mean dion was 20 carries for 112 yards ronald awat was 13 carries for 88 yards and gavin hardison was again five carries for 50 yards because he was sacked once so you look at that, that that takes four yards away but hey that's that's you know that's great production And I know three carries for four yards doesn't seem like a lot when you're Calvin Brownholtz, but those three carries are all on fourth down. Oh, man, those four... I mean,
1: those three fourth-down conversions, uh, first off, gutsy call by Dana Dimmel. I mean, to extend those drives, he understood the importance of scoring points, talked about that today as well, and he knew that they were uh, the Charlotte on one side was going to score a bunch of points, so he couldn't get off the field in those situations, and he wanted to keep the offense on there uh, to convert on those fourth-down conversions. And if you're going up against Charlotte, that's a terrible run defense, well, pick at their weakness and go for it on fourth and, and one when you have a quarterback like Brown Holtz who can do. It it and uh yeah i think that that uh play has just leveled up over the weeks over the months i mean even over the years with brown doing those short runs on fourth down and yeah the fact that they converted three of them that that's that's something that's pretty remarkable for this team
0: oh my god you're absolutely 100 percent right so that was a big big deal all right again you want in we'd love to hear from you 39 past the hour here on Sports Talk. Our telephone number, 505-6009. That will get you right on in and through to Sports Talk. You can also tweet the show at 600 ESPN El Paso. Tweets are coming in from Neff Poppy. Enemy win three, that's Adrian. And also our pal Caesar. So we'll get to some of those and read those on air. Get to your phone calls uh, we haven't even talked Cowboys football yet. I want to get to that as well. Uh, so many more things to talk about over the next two hours, 20 minutes, live with you out here, Border City L House, 1506 Lee Trevino with 600 ESPN El Paso. 48 past the hour, Sports Talk Live, Border City L House with you. 505 6009, our telephone number as we send it over to Adrian and get his. Physical athletics, physical fitness tip of the day. Adrian, what advice do you have for everybody?
1: Thanks, Steve, and thanks to physical athletics, the best place to start your fitness journey. I was out there today. Bright and early, 5 a.m. Sun, Sun's not out yet, but I had a great time out there. And uh, they remind you, don't skip your workout. When you warm up properly, you can prepare your body for your workout, and you can also help prevent any injuries on your end. With physical athletics, you get three big things. Number one, you get access to a strength and conditioning specialist at all times. You get a personalized workout plan that's customized to how you're feeling. And then you get education on the best practices for things like nutrition, fitness, and And your lifestyle. Physical Athletics now accepting new clients. They've got athletes 8 years old all the way up to the professional level. And they've got adults 20 years old all the way up to 80 for beginners or intermediate levels. It's never too late to start your fitness journey. Start it today with Physical Athletics. They've got two locations on the Far East Side at Joe Battle and Eastlake. And get a free one-week trial to see what they're all about. You can call or text 915-996-996. 4476, that's 915 996. 4476 to get started with physical athletics.
0: You know, you're less than three months away from tying the knot. What are some of the things you've noticed the most as you've really been? getting into this uh, at, at Physical Athletics? Well,
1: first off is uh, I, I've noticed that getting up at 4 in the morning is never easy, uh, no matter how often you do it on a, on a weekly or daily basis. Uh, and I've also noticed that as long as you um, you know incorporate three to four days of, uh, of working out or just doing some physical acti- activity uh, during your week – it, it makes a big difference. You sleep better. You feel better. You have more energy throughout the day. I, you know, Despite waking up early, I feel like I'm real energized now that I'm, I'm working out regularly with physical athletics.
0: Oh, that's good. That's good. I mean, and by the way, people don't understand this. Um, it's a long day. I mean, starting at, you know, waking up at 4 in the morning, you're not getting done until 7 at night. That is not an easy day. Not an easy day at all.
1: No, so. not at all. But hey, now you have to go to bed a little earlier. Uh now that yep. uh you know, I'm doing this kind of stuff, but I am having a great time and it's uh thanks to all those uh, great people out there and yep, getting me right for the wedding. So this is going to be uh this is going to be a great journey to continue to do.
0: Absolutely. You know, Uh, Lisa who asked earlier about Kelton Moss just followed up on the app a little while ago I feel like Kelton Moss doesn't get enough credit he plays hard and is a good player Uh, he's part of the defense Adrian that has gotten a ton of accolades and it's so interesting because I was reading a lot of message boards about praise after the game and fans are wondering you know why is praise not filling up the stat sheet I don't think people realize that not only is he getting double teamed on every play but teams are simply avoiding him they're going to the opposite side they want Want no part of praise. And when they do decide to challenge him, he's usually right there putting pressure on the quarterback.
1: Yeah, and I still think that praise is good for one uh, significant play every single game, uh, despite his production, no production on the stat sheet. You you can't really see what he's doing unless you're watching the film and, and seeing how much the opposing teams are game planning against him. If they're going his way, well, they're trying to get the ball out of the quarterback's hand uh, right away. And if they're going, uh, they're trying to game plan against him and try, to roll the quarterback out well that's probably opposite side of praise of mayhule and that's uh, opposing teams knowing his worth knowing what he could do to a quarterback and uh, simply going the other direction so he won't cause havoc against them
0: exactly right uh meanwhile we haven't talked at all about this cowboys beat the uh, commanders yesterday in another dominant performance uh and and you know when you look at cooper rush game after game He's not lighting up the stat sheet like Dak. What he's doing is he's not making any mistakes. He's throwing a couple of touchdown passes. He's got a great rapport right now with CeeDee Lamb. Uh, Their defense is getting the job done. And um, when you've got a guy like this playing so well, number one, I wouldn't rush at all Dak back until you know he's 100%. And you almost want to see now what – Cooper can do against the Rams and Eagles the next two weeks, considering they're um, you know going a big step up as far as opponents uh, after. You know, going so far 3-0 as starter.
1: Yeah, I mean, Cooper Rush has had relatively clean pockets, so that's allowing him uh, to play that mistake free football, which is good for him. I mean, he's not doing anything wrong with the Cowboys uh, and I'm still looking at this Cowboy defense and I'm thinking to myself, Steve, this, when, when is the last time you remember uh, just rooting for watching a defense versus rooting for watching an offense? Like, every yeah. time that defense rolls out there, it's so fun to watch. They've got playmakers all around. You wonder when uh, Trayvon Diggs is gonna get his next interception or if Parsons is gonna make a, a big play like he always does. This defense is like must watch football every time they come out.
0: Yeah, they are because they've they've carried the team and and when you watch the way Cooper's playing, he's just been a really nice Game manager for this team. It's you know I almost feel like what Cooper Rush is doing that's what we've seen from Gavin Hardison the last two weeks.
1: Yeah, I like the similarities. You wrote about this last week and, and talked about this at length. Uh, I really like the similarities between both uh, programs right there. Uh, and and you know to to elaborate a little bit more with Cooper Rush, he's somebody who's who's uh, really carved out a nice future career for him as a backup quarterback and maybe even a starting quarterback. There are not there are some really bad quarterbacks across the NFL. And I look yeah. at Cooper Rush, he's somebody who's very poised back there. He looks like he has a lot of confidence. Like, why not roll him out instead of some of these other quarterbacks that we see week to
0: week? I'm with you on that one, 100%. All right, we're live, Border City, L House, 1506, Lee Trevino. One hour down, two to go. Love to hear from you. Jumpstart the phone lines in our 5 o'clock hour. We could talk Cowboys. We could talk UTEP. We could talk Aaron Judge. We could talk anything you want over these next two hours. Our phone number, 505-6009. Hanging out with you till 7 on 600 ESPN El Paso. Hour number two here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody, as we continue live from Border City El House, 1506 Lee Trevino, along with Adrian Brodis Chema and UTEP Zay, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Hey, we're getting you ready for Rams and Niners tonight. Halftime prize we're going to be giving away probably around 730. We've got some terrific, terrific stuff from all that music and video located in their newly remodeled and expanded spot, It's Fountains of Farrah, directly behind the Best Buy parking lot. Uh, directly below, I should say, the Best Buy parking lot. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter what you're looking for, whether it's um, vintage or new 180-gram vinyl, all eras, all categories, all prices, plus thousands of deals on classic and best-selling CDs and DVDs. They've got posters, patches, buttons, pop culture, gift items, something for everybody And All That Music and Video. Here's what we're going to be giving away from them here at halftime tonight. We've got insulated lunch bags for both the 49ers and the Rams. We've got um, also bottle openers with the logos. We've got DVDs. The 99 Rams Super Bowl team, along with the history of the 49ers, we'll be giving that out on DVD. Plus, we've got some very cool T-shirts of our um, Sun City Bacon Fest and uh, the, El pa- the Greater El Paso Football Showcase. We're going to be giving those away. And if that's not enough, we've got a uh, cool set of uh, Cazadores sunglasses and a bottle opener to go along with that for each uh, of our winners. And that's all coming up here at halftime. Plus, it's pint night at um, at the Yale House. Three, four, five dollar pints. Five dollar Jack and Jack flavors. Four dollar Fireball. Those are the specials every Monday. And of course, the menu. So many things to choose from. Whether it's the half pound burgers, the fajita burritos. You've got pizza. You've got terrific wings. Uh, some of the best tasting wings anywhere in town. Although Adrian, I think I'm going to mix it up tonight. I think I might be going for the brisket nachos tonight for dinner.
1: Oh, the brisket nachos over there, at Border City Ale House, are absolutely fire. I love those. Uh, I love the wings out there as well. And yep. uh, when you, when you're feeling like you really need a meal, like you need a good one, I'll, I'll go with the sandwiches or burgers. I love those as well.
0: Oh, that's so good. That is so good. Listen, I had I had a kale salad uh, for lunch today, so I feel like I've I've set my body up perfectly to enjoy the brisket nachos for dinner. Oh,
1: nice! Those those are always great. I love I love when you can uh, you know throw the brisket on top, and I, I think that uh, Border City Alehouse makes them like no other.
0: I'm with you on that. I am with you. All right, we spent a lot of time in the first hour talking about the UTEP win over Charlotte. We played you some minor talk clips as well. We're going to be giving out our awards this hour. Coming up in our 6 o'clock hour, Lester Bedford's going to join us live to talk about the Texas Boxing Hall of Fame, which was announced last week. A lot of El Paso wins in as well, so Lester's going to join us coming up at 6 p.m. here on Sports Talk. But in the meantime, I want to talk about Um, the Miners some more. I want to talk about the Cowboys. I wrote about the parallels for these two teams. I thought it continued this weekend, although UTEP, uh, they did get involved in a shootout with Charlotte. And the truth is, Adrian, had the defense not come up big twice, you wonder if the Miners would have been able to survive. Because I was really hoping that the offense could have kept um, Reynolds off the field, but especially in the fourth quarter when they built up that, 41-20, uh, that 41-21 lead. You thought the game was over, and unfortunately, it wasn't. There was still 12 minutes left to play, and the minor offense could not finish off Charlotte until late. But a win's a win. They're 3-3. Three and three. They win their first game on the East Coast. Now they get to come back and, uh, and get uh, Louisiana Tech this weekend in Ruston with a chance to win three in a row.
1: Yeah, I, I look at lot this past weekend's game, and actually I, I would not. If you would have told me that UTEP was in a shootout against Charlotte, I would have said, okay, they lost that game because yep. I was not confident whatsoever in UTEP putting points on the board. Uh, but that's, I think, where you get the aggressive play calling early on into this game by head coach Dana Dimmel. I mean, they were going for it early on fourth down uh, conversions and attempts. They were trying to do whatever it took to get those uh, late scores. I mean, just look at how, how they closed out the first half they have that nine play 82 yard drive that lasted under three minutes that's unconventional for UTEP but they score off a 26 yard touchdown pass from Gavin Hardison to Trent Thompson I thought that drive was exceptional and that's the uh, kind of aggressive play calling that they needed uh you know to ride ride this uh momentum into the half and and try to come out with the victory which they ultimately did but I I think that by getting those uh early touchdowns in the first half that gave them that
0: confidence going into the second half to try to seal the deal I'm with you on that one now if you look at the rest of Conference USA from this weekend UTSA beat Middle Tennessee 45-30 to that's still an offense. Frank Harris. How about this, Adrian? 27 of 36, 414 yards, two touchdowns. This comes a week after Middle Tennessee shocked Miami on the road. UTSA goes in there to Murfreesboro. And brings um, you know brings the Blue Raiders back down to earth.
1: Yeah, if you uh, looked at the UTSA Twitter account on Friday, you would have thought that UTSA lost this game because the fan the, their fan base was really disappointed um, in the in the sense that they thought they let Middle Tennessee come back into this game. Much like the minor fan base, some of them thought that they let Charlotte come back in that game. But the bottom line is, uh, you, you're seeing two high power conference USA teams who love to score. And with Frank Harris, he's been a around for a while with UTSA. He's just doing what he's done uh, at, a, at a way higher level this year by throwing all over the field. He's a he's a solid game manager. He's a somebody who can make plays, and, and he's kind of that playmaker for their offense. Uh, and UTSA, I, I expect them to score a lot of points in every game, just knowing what he could do under center. I'm
0: right with you 100% on that. Um, some of the other games from this past weekend, uh, we're not going to see Western Kentucky this year uh, in in, the, in the, uh, the rest of the season, but they lost to Troy 34-27. Uh, North Texas won their second game at Conference USA. How funny is this? Everybody thought North Texas was garbage because after their win over UTEP, they started losing some games. Well, now they've won their last couple, and uh, after beating uh, UTEP the first week of the season, they came around and put 45 on Florida Atlantic and beat them 45-28.
1: Yeah, I'm still not out on FAU. I think that the Owls are still a good team. You you heard after the game and and here uh, in today's press conference with Willie Taggart out at FAU FAU that Nikosi Perry their quarterback had pretty much played that game against North Texas injured. So yep. the Mean Green were kind of feasting on a depleted team with Florida Atlantic who's kind of reeling right now, 2 and 4 trying to keep their season alive, but uh North Texas needed that win in a big way and they got it. Now 2 and 0 in
0: Conference USA leading
1: this uh you know leading this league.
0: Two other games I want to talk about. Rice. Rice scores 21 in the second half and stuns UAB. this was a big big win for the owls and from the stat sheet it wasn't impressive in fact just 104 passing yards and 105 rushing yards so really when you look at this game adrian it was the defense that got things done for rice especially uh being able to force an interception and and also um you know recover a, a fumble Um, when Dylan Hopkins uh, uh, lost, uh, lost one of his two fumbles in the game. So Rice, despite only putting up 210 yards of offense... Wins over UAB at home doesn't that sound very
1: familiar to UTEP or kind of like that? They they like to win in ugly situations. They want to win in like those grimy type of games where they just run the ball like crazy and uh, use their defense to catapult them to victory. But this is the same Rice team who beat uh, Louisiana a couple weeks ago. The same Rice team who uh, nearly upset Houston on the road. Uh, you know, kind of in a big matchup right there, non non conference matchup right there. Uh, this is not the same Rice team that my, uh, fans are used to, and for their head coach and Mike Bloomgren, he's coaching for his job right now. He's on the hot seat in a big way, and if they, when the Owls make that transition to the American Athletic Conference, they're going to want to make sure they have the right coach in place. Well, yep. the program took a, a big step forward in beating UAB, one of their arguably their best conference wins in a really long time.
0: Meanwhile, the uh, final game we'll talk about, Florida International. They beat the Aggies in Cruces 21-7. to And, you know, you look at the way this game went, uh, the Aggies couldn't stop Florida International and Grayson James early. Finished with three touchdown passes, 13-19. And the Aggies' offense just never got going in this one, Adrian. They scored a, their only touchdown in the second quarter. They were shut out in the second half. In fact, both teams were shut out. But FIU led at the break. That was the final score, and... A game that nobody really thought uh, the Panthers would win. Now they're two and two on the season. Yeah, this one
1: surprised me. And uh, talking to Colin Deaver out at KTSM about this one, he said it was the worst college football game he's ever seen. Just just simply <laughs> put, like the on the football f- uh, level, this was just an awful uh, game at all levels. And I- I'm not th- that surprised. These are two really bad programs. Maybe the two two of the bottom five teams in all of college football. And I was just surprised to see New Mexico State have that kind of output after doing what they did against uh hawaii a couple weeks ago uh i'm I'm disappointed in the aggies and how they lost that game
0: yep absolutely i'm sure a lot of mexico state fans feeling the same way all right uh as we continue here on the program let me read some of the uh, tweets coming in right now at 600 espn el paso there have been plenty in the first part of the show Adrian, at enemy Wind, the number three, tweet uh, tweets into the program. Steve, I'm calling for the Fire Dimmel fans to be banned for life. The banned for life from the Fire Dimmel fans. Listen, you can't fire we, – we, we don't ban callers for life, at least not anymore. I think I've done that once, but I might even have lifted a lifetime ban. It's it's hard to remember, Adrian, over over the 25 years I've hosted Sports Talk. I almost feel like somebody was banned for life, but we might have lifted that ban but the truth is, is that uh, prior to the win over Boise, Dana Dimmel had won just two football games since his 6-1 and one start a year ago. Everybody in this town was questioning whether or not he was the right person for the job, questioning the play calling on the offensive side, questioning Jim Center for the two-year extension, and now – Two wins later, which were big wins for them because now they've got confidence and they also, look at who they beat. They beat Boise at home and they beat Charlotte on the road, have really put their season right. They've salvaged it now, at least now. It's starting to look attainable again, where it looked like it was completely unattainable here a few weeks ago. Yeah, I don't
1: blame fans early on into the season for feeling emotional and feeling the way that they did. I feel like that's the the yeah, kind of feeling if you're a UTEP football fan in general, yep. right? Because you've dealt with so much, uh, if you're a UTEP football fan, you've dealt with so much kind of a, a, of a roller coaster of emotions in not just football, but all the sports they really care about. And for the UTEP fan base, yeah, I understand why they were out on this program after a very disappointing loss to New, uh, North Texas in which they hyped it uh, for months leading up to that game, and how disappointed they were after New Mexico, knowing that offense had seven total turnovers and it didn't look like they were getting better week after week, but uh, between the New Mexico game and the Boise State game, something changed. They looked yep. in the mirror and they they self-evaluated and they got better, and now this is a team right now who could beat anybody on their schedule uh, that's left, with maybe the exception of UTSA, although I could see UTEP really giving the Roadrunners a good one if they play like this for the rest of the season.
0: Absolutely right. Absolutely. All right. uh, more tweets coming in. And again, the phones are open. 505-6009. Here, this is Poncho. Ugly win for UTEP football, but we'll take it. Team needs to be more consistent. Offense should have put the game away in the second half. D needs to do better. Yes, 14 points and 3 turnovers, but gave up too many yards to a bad team. I'll say this though about Charlotte, okay? Yeah, they're 1-5. Yeah, they're 0-2 in conference. But you want to know something? This team is going to lose lots of games putting up 400-plus yards a game. They have a high-powered offense. And I don't expect that offense, as long as Chris Reynolds is healthy, to really uh, struggle putting points and yards up against anybody in Conference USA. We saw what Reynolds' ability was. And, by the way, He was crushed in that game. He was 21 to 37, but he still was able to get to 349 yards and four touchdowns. And I thought the Miners were in his face the entire game, and he was running for his life. This goes to show you why Reynolds is the all-time passing leader in the history of the Charlotte program.
1: Yeah, I thought Chris Reynolds played a great game. I mean, you know, he was getting knocked out left and right three different times he had to actually leave the field and, and get some medical attention and some help, uh, and then he bounces back in such a positive way to close this one out. I, I You know, the, the game uh, losing interception that he threw, that was really his only bad pass, but you can make the argument that uh, Elijah Spencer on that play should have tracked that a little bit better and try to make a play on the ball instead of letting Elijah Johnson pick that one off. But uh, you know, you got veteran receivers there going up against inexperienced secondary like the Miners were facing, and I I thought that uh, the Charlotte passing game was in full effect uh, this past Saturday. Chris Reynolds is a pro in this in this uh, you know conference USA.
0: Absolutely right. Absolutely. So again. All that uh, as we keep things moving here at uh, 16 past the hour on Sports Talk. All right, before we get out to uh, Charlie One with traffic, hey, uh, folks, uh, if you are right, 22 past as we continue. Yankees underway against uh, Texas right now. The Aaron Judge Homer watch is also um, still very much in effect. In fact... Yanks are scoreless after one. Judge, in the first inning, um, made out. It was 0-for-1, going up against Melito Perez. Here's a question for you, Adrian. If Aaron Judge finishes the season with 61 home runs tied with Maris... Does Otani win the MVP? Oh, great question,
1: Steve. I love this one. By the way, all the hate over the weekend, so unnecessary by the cutout box and doing the split screen, all that. Everybody, All the college football fans who are getting upset about that, please. Come on. You get to witness some sports history if you, if you get a chance to watch Aaron Judge hit a home run. But, uh, great question right there. I, I still look at Otani and I just think of what a magnificent season he had. Uh, I get it with Aaron Judge tying the AL record, tying the Yankee record uh maybe have a chance to beat this record right here but i'm still looking at barry bonds that's a number for me um i i'm now now uh you know sticking my flag on this one i'm saying that uh otani winning the mvp i still think that might be a stretch uh i think you might just give it to judge uh but by by just barely what about you steve where would you go
0: Man, I, listen, Otani is top five in every good pitching and hitting stat. It's hard not to give him the MVP. He's better than he was last year, and he won the MVP last year. Now, granted, you didn't have an Aaron Judge-type season last year uh, challenging him, but I don't know. If Judge finishes 61 and can't get a home run the last week of the season, then, I mean, I would seriously think about, um, you know, Otani as your MVP. I really would. So let's go to Danny. He's going to join us next. 24 past the hour. Ah, Danny. I just, I I didn't go to him quick enough. All right. Um, Anyway, Danny calls back. I apologize for not getting to you sooner. I know you want to talk a little UTEP. Be happy to put you on the air immediately. I would. I had to get to the judge story, though, because to me the whole thing is really interesting. It really is. And I would like to hear what Danny has to say about UTEP. So, Danny, if you call back, I'll put you on instantly and get you right through to the show. 505-6009, our telephone number. That's 505-6009. Don't worry, Adrian. Over the years, I have uh, come back from commercial breaks, talked about a topic, gone to someone after that who's been holding for, like, five minutes, and in the minute I get to them, boom, click off, uh, and that's it. It's tough. It's tough hanging on sometimes. Even on the national shows, they keep you on hold for hours before they bring you on.
1: That's a good point. I mean, if you're listening to some of these national shows, they'll go to their callers, and they'll hit them within, like, 30 seconds. They'll pot them up real quick, and they'll pot yep. them down really quick. They they make those calls. Uh, they, they make you wait forever, and when you're on, you're on for maybe 10 to, to 20 seconds at most.
0: Plus, I wanted to hear – I wanted to set up the um... – the, the judge comment, so I can get, uh, so I can get Danny, and even I was going to talk about UTEP and get everybody else talking about that. I thought that'd be kind of interesting. Anyway, as we continue here on Sports Talk, and understand too, um, when it comes to fans, fans, ugh, so many fans are fair weather fans. They just are. I mean, one minute they want they want the coach gone, or the player's gone. And the next minute they're singing the praises. That happens. I mean, you know, I know some of the listeners I was, I was looking at uh, specifically Alexa on uh, Twitter because she was going after um, Jacob Cooksey, who was calling for Dimmel's head, and now he's singing the praises, and she reminded that, is this the same person who tweeted, let's uh, fire Dimmel, now thinks she's uh, coach of the year. I get that. But sometimes fans get so emotionally caught up, one minute they hate their team, the next minute they love their team. That's part about being a fan, right? I mean, it really is. Some people say you have to. Uh, you should always support them win or lose, bar none. But if you go to the games and you're paying to watch a team play, you can be frustrated with your team. We've always talked about this. Hey, if you pay to go see a team, you have every right to boo them if they're not playing well. That was another one of my favorite topics over the years. when People used to call in and say that you should never boo college athletes because they're not getting paid to play. I'm like, come on. If you're paying for a ticket and the team's not playing well, you can boo them. There's nothing wrong with that. They're doing the pros all the time. I don't see that much of a difference as far as college goes. And then share when they're playing well. So it's all right. I was booed as a kid when I when I performed bad. You have to uh, you have to learn to deal with that. It's part of uh, part of sports. Part of having to, part of having to handle things. So all right. Well, anyway, 27 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Adrian, what's your take, though, on fans that one minute are upset with their team and the next minute they're all, you know... Talking about how great the team is.
1: Well, I just say welcome to college sports, or just uh, just being a sports fan in general, right? Because uh, you know, you you look this past weekend, uh, Georgia fans were all over social media calling their own team frauds. They were worried because Missouri was up the entire game against the Bulldogs, and what happens? Georgia comes out, they pull out a win, and uh, you know, fans have these roller coaster of emotions. I think social media allows you to it's it's almost like allows you to boo on Twitter, but also say the expletives you want say all the stuff you want on social media and voice your opinions there so uh i welcome it i think everybody there's a there's a space for everybody to do this kind of stuff on social media or in person and uh this is just kind of what sports are all about it you might not like it but you just have to live with it if you're uh, if you're going to go to some of these sporting events
0: gotta have thick skin especially if you're on social media right
1: zay uh he's back here we, we got we've only got two mics but uh he's back here agreeing completely Steve yeah,
0: yeah I, I, that's that's right that's it's part of the job man it's part of what's happening by the way I see you Paul Reynoso great to see you had a chance to go to the Saints Vikings game in London to uh rep your saints this past week um and that's that's a cool bucket list trip. Adrian, if you think about it, going to London and going to watch, uh, you know, a, an NFL game over there, that's a, that's a, that's a neat experience because you only get that a couple of times a year.
1: Yeah, I would say if you're if you get a chance to watch any kind of American sport played internationally, uh, that's you're you're one in very few people who get a chance to do that. And the way that the uh, London crowd was, they were all they were like wild, they were great fans. Uh, you heard everybody cheering. I don't know if you if you did this, but uh, I I try to wake up early on Sunday to watch this uh, Saints Vikings game, and I, I know it wasn't a great game, but it was just cool to see the London crowd and and the way that they absorbed. The game. I'm curious to know if there's going to be any El Pasoan going to watch Green Bay play this weekend in London to watch Aaron Jones. How cool of a story would
0: that be? I forgot about that because they're, they're doing this for a couple of weeks in a row. So you're right about that. So Green Bay goes to London and they play the Giants, which um, is a it's 7:30 in the morning. That's the time we get it um, on the NFL Network. And that is interesting cuz that is called a Green Bay home game isn't it that's that's one of the that's one of the games where they'll they'll be uh, you know instead of Lambeau they're going to be at Tottenham Hotspur stadium That's right,
1: and uh, this is, like you said, one of a few uh, international games that they'll be having. I believe at the end of this month, we'll see one at Wembley Stadium. It's the Broncos taking on the Jaguars, and it seems like Jacksonville goes to uh, London all the time. And then, later on in the year, Steve, we are going to get a game played out in Germany and Mexico later on. I think the Germany game is Seahawks-Bucks, and that's Sunday, November 13th.
0: Absolutely right. Absolutely. 31 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. More in a moment. Your phones as well. 505 6009. That gets you right on in and through to the program. 505 6009 is our telephone number as uh, Sports Talk continues. Is Danny back? No. Okay. Robert, you're coming up next right after Adrian in this Bottom of the Hour Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much. Robert's coming up; he's joining us next as we continue here on Sports Talk. Robert, welcome. Thanks for the call. How are you?
5: Hey, I'm doing great, Steve. Thank you for having me. Sure Thanks thing. For taking my call, rather. Uh, I want really. I just want to talk real quick, real quick about the UTEP. I'm UTEP all the way, hundred percent. You know, but uh, I just have a question about their discipline, Steve, yeah. on the field and off the field. Their sideline decorum is terrible. Um, you know, for example, they were they were winning the game here right before halftime. I think the the lead was about 15 points, maybe 20. I don't remember exactly. But yeah, you know, guys, when the when the camera pans to the sidelines, they're dancing, they're hooping and hollering. You know, and they have got half a game to go. And you saw what happened at the end of the game. They, you know, you got to act like you've been there before. And and they, that's not with UTEP. That's not about what UTEP does. You know, they're acting like. Acting a fool. I'm, I'm sorry to say that because they're they're my team. But when they when they start acting like that at halftime with a well about two uh, two touchdown lead, you know that's not the time to be acting like that
0: at all. Now are you now here's the thing. Here's my question. Okay, they were they were it was a 10-7 game. If you're talking about when you had the Thompson touchdown pass and then the night fumble return. They're up 24-7 and you have the two scores in like a 13-second period and you pan to the sidelines and they're celebrating. But you got to get excited, right? You just scored two touchdowns and I know you probably think, well, act like you've been there before. They haven't been there before. That's the thing. It's like with UTEP, you know, they just turned the entire game around on two plays in less than uh, 15 seconds.
5: Well, sure, you've got to play with enthusiasm I and mean, you've got to play with intensity a the whole bit and you got to celebrate. There's there's a way to do it with, I don't know. You just got to act like you've been there before. I don't care if you haven't. That's what what one of the coaches said. You've got to act like you've been there, and you're going to do it again next week, like this is the first thing in your life, because the kids have been playing since junior high. And that's that's what I'm about. I'm real real disappointed about their sideline discipline and their on-field discipline. You get two uh, 15-yard penalties uh, in the game. One was blatant. One was questionable. And so, but you, regardless, you've got to control that discipline because it's going well, to come and bite you in the butt and later on in the game. I don't care what anybody says, it's going to come and bite you when the teams get tougher and the going gets tough.
0: Robert, I'll say this. I thought the targeting call at the end of the game was was a garbage call. I thought he rung the kid's bell, hit him hard, which is what you want to do. You want to try to get the ball loose when he hit him, and he hit him and the ball came flying out, and that was a fourth down play. And I thought he led with the shoulder, which is what you're taught to do, and the helmets happened to touch on the collision, which they did, but I didn't see him lead with the head trying to go helmet to helmet on that. And they ended up throwing Tyree Knight out of the game for that play and, and, again, I still question that because, to me, I didn't see targeting there. I saw a really hard hit. And it's part of the game itself is that, you know, they've taken away part of the game of football. And, I, and I'm all about concussion protocol and protecting kids. Don't get me wrong. But if, you're, if you lead with your shoulder pad and you hit somebody there and you happen to make contact after, the, after you're leading with the pad, I don't know if that, to me, is, is, should be considered targeting and an automatic ejection.
5: Absolutely. You want to be in that position where you can pound on some guy right at the end of the game and take the, get that ball out of his hand. That's exactly right. But you know what? At the same time, those ref, the, the officials viewed it and reviewed it two or three times before they made their call. So, I mean, when we see it once or twice, they see it up close. They see it two, three, four times before yep. they make their call. So it's close enough. It, it's questionable, right? I agree with that. But, you know, it is what it is. But I'm, I'm just talking about the discipline on the sideline and on field field, you know, it's gonna, they've got to control it. At least it's got to be addressed.
0: That's a fair How point. Do do it? it's a fair, no, it's a fair point. And I think that's exactly right because the worst thing possible would be to lose a game because you let the players' emotions get the best of them. That would be the worst possible thing that could happen. And it almost happened Saturday night.
5: Right, exactly. exactly. They've got to play with that intensity. I love, it. I love that they're playing with intensity and the fire and everything else. But at the same time, you've got to control it.
0: Yep, that's fair. That's fair stuff. All right, appreciate you, Robert. Thanks for the call. Before I get to Joe, um, Adrian, give me your take on the uh, discipline factor for the Miners. Yeah, I
1: don't agree. I think that UTEP, uh, like you said, Steve, they've never been there. Allow them to celebrate from time to time. And if you looked at that Charlotte bench uh, and the way they were acting late in the game, their entire bench, they were like huddled together, dancing and jumping up and down, trying to pump up their team to give them some momentum on the final drive before Chris Reynolds threw that interception. And as soon as Elijah Johnson caught that pick, that that whole sideline I'm talking about the UTEP sideline went absolutely berserk and they went insane rightfully so let them celebrate let them get pumped about these wins because uh, if you're a UTEP fan you understand these wins are few and far between let's keep
0: moving phone calls at 38 past the hour Joe is in the west side of town and he joins us next here on Sports Talk Joe welcome aboard thanks for the call thanks for getting in hey
6: Steve good afternoon
0: hey listen I uh I'm not a Yankee fan,
6: but I'm a Judge fan, yep. and I was uh, I was about 12, 13 years old when I saw Roger Maris on Sunday afternoon hit that thir- the 61st home run, and and it was I think it was his last at bat for the year too, and you know that there's so much pressure, uh, especially when you in the single season thing, you know, and Judge is trying to win a pennant for his team also, Steve, yep. and the Angels they, they they're really bad, so there's no pressure on O'Connor going out there and trying to bomb and pitch well and stuff. He's a great player. But I still think that the best player in baseball is, is, is his uh, teammate, you know, uh, Trout, Mike Trout. But he reminds me of, of uh, Willie Mays in a way. But Judge should be the MVP. He's almost a triple-pound winner in 60, 61, whatever home runs he ends up with. And in my opinion, I think he's the MVP for the uh, AL. So,
0: Well, and the reason I brought up Otani and, and I'm happy you called in, Joe, because if you look at what Otani is doing this season in particular, and remember, he won the MVP last year, but this year, as far as Otani goes, from a pitching standpoint, he is currently uh, tied for eighth uh, in baseball. Not in the American League, in baseball, with 15 wins, sixth with a 235 ERA, and then sixth with 213 strikeouts. That's, as a pitcher... And then when you look at him as a hitter, he's also in all the major categories top 5 for hitting. So, you think about what he's doing. And when you're when you're in that 5, you know, 5 to 6 range or 4 to 6 range in in categories like ERA, strikeouts, and then RBIs, home runs, and you're doing it like that where you're playing every day. That's, that's phenomenal, Joe. And I've been telling people this, this could become the norm for Shohei Otani. This might not even be that great a season. This could be what we see for the next three to five years as he's in his prime. He doesn't have
6: to be pressure, Steve. There's no pressure of him winning the pennant. And you can go out there and, and be great in pitching, be great in hitting. But he doesn't have he doesn't have that pennant race that a judge has on his back. And there were days where he was the only guy that was he would practically carried his team for, for a couple of weeks there, for when they were really struggling. Yep. You know, right yep. after the uh, right after the uh, all star break, they were, I mean, they were losing like eight out of ten and stuff like that. But the judge was still trying to carry the team on his back, and he did there for a while. So uh, I think it's the pressure issue. They're both talented players, and I wish them both luck. But uh, hey, thanks for having me on your program, Steve. Appreciate it.
0: I like it, Joe. Appreciate the call. 41 past the hour as we continue. What about your take, folks? You agree with Joe? Hey, you're Aaron Judge. You're playing for the Yankees. New York market, your independent race. The Angels are way, they're 30 games out of five, out of first place right now with the Astros. So it, there's a lot more pressure on Aaron Judge than there is Shohei Otani. There's no doubt about that. But to see what Shohei does on a night-in-night-out basis is really nothing short of phenomenal. All right, we'll come back, wrap up Hour 2 of 3 live at the Yale House. Stick with us. We're watching the Yankees and Rangers. See if Aaron Judge can make history here tonight, part of 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, back to the phones we go. We've got a couple to get to here on Sports Talk. We'll start it off uh, live from Border City, L House, getting you ready for the uh, Monday night game tonight. Rams and Niners about 30 minutes away, a little less than that. Let's go first to Rob. He's been hanging on the lines. Hey, Rob, how are you?
7: Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for taking my call.
0: Thanks for getting in, Rob.
7: Yeah, I wanted to give my uh, my take on the UTEP game. I, uh, sure. O- overall, overall, I was pretty happy. I felt like the the receivers played really well. Um, the defense uh, made plays when they have to. Um, like ov- overall, Gavin Hardison played well. I-, I think it was a solid game um, across the board. I, I just, I-, I think I've come to the realization that um we're never gonna have a comfortable win under a demo i think i think uh i think i think the game plan was perfect i don't think i don't think he had it in his game plan to be up 21 points in the fourth and i didn't imagine uh you know it coming down to the last drive but i am not like at this point nothing surprises me anymore um i just got to be happy with a win and i i really think uh you know these last two weeks they've salvaged their season I just—I have a one question for you. When was the last time they won back-to-back conference road games? Do, would you happen to know
0: that? Oh, that's a great question.
1: I got you guys. Uh, it is back in 2005. That's the last time they—they uh, they won back-to-back road games in conference play.
0: 2005. Is that when they? Is that when they ended up beating Tulane and Marshall? Oh no, uh, they beat Tulane and Rice in that one. Tulane and Rice. Because they beat Tulane 45-21, yeah. and then they beat Rice 38-31. That was the year they ended up winning five in a row in the middle of the season, and Mike Price took his team to an 8-4 and four mark, and I think they might have even broken into the top 25 that year.
1: Yeah, yeah you're remembering that right, Steve. That's exactly right.
0: Because they started off the yeah. year 3-0. and They lost to Memphis 27-20, and then they rebounded, and won five in a row. They beat Tulane, Marshall, Rice, Tulsa, and Texas Southern. It's a really good run for them back in 05 with Mike Price. That was Price's second year at UTEP.
7: Yeah, it's, I mean, been a, I mean, I was in high school when I had been, so it's just been a really long time.
0: But, <laughs> it's been a um, long time,
7: yes. Just, yeah, my, my, my last comment is, is I, I don't know, I'm, just, I'm not a fan. I've never been a fan of the head coach calling plays unless you're uh, – Sean McVay, but you're not, and no one is. So
0: that's true. I feel that's like, true. I
7: feel like, I feel like the head. I mean, I'm a Denver fan. I see it with Hackett every week. He misses so much in game, uh, you know, decisions because he's too worried about the play call. And I feel like the same. It's the same problem with UTEP. And you look at Sabin, If you look at Bill Belichick, uh, uh, you know, across the board, these guys let their coordinators handle it. That's the point of a coordinator. Um, I feel like if the head coach is, is diving into every play he's going to miss a lot of a, a lot of what's happening around him and i've I just never been a fan of that i hope hope that changes
0: one day but uh thanks for taking my call appreciate it rob thanks for getting in with the call let's wrap up the hour with minor eddie smack he'll end uh, the five o'clock hour with us on sports talk eddie smack what's going on how are ya? i'm well eddie
3: how are you oh you know i'm excited i'm fired up I'm fired up. I'm telling you what, we, we've we already had some milestones this season, right?
0: We've had milestones in the last two weeks.
3: Exactly. Boise State, the East Coast, and then based on what that last caller was saying, so if we win another game on the road in the conference, that's another milestone, Right.
0: Well, it'll be the first time in, what, 17 years they've won back-to-back road games in conference play. And they didn't win back-to-back in 05. They won two in a row because they played a home game in between. But, yeah, it's been a while since UTEP's won back-to-back conference road games. That's for sure.
3: Yeah. So, I'll tell you what. I just like the way everything's progressing and the development. Um I really like the way the defense is progressing, but I'll tell you what, I thought that offensive line was very physical uh, Saturday. And I think we're, we're just, we're, we're gelling on the offensive line and I think that's going to make our running game uh, pretty stout for the rest of the season. So I wanted to make that point.
0: No, I think that's, that's, that's accurate. I mean, the offense is looking much better. I like the way they've, they've, they've run the ball and, it's definitely made – I think running the ball has made Gavin's life a lot easier, and Gavin running the ball has added a new dimension to his game.
3: Yes, and, and you know how I feel about demo So I will no longer, from this day on, call him Coach Dimo. From this point on, he's Uncle Dimmel.
0: Oh, wow, you guys are related now. That's nice. <laughs> um can you have him give you part of his bonus if he, uh, you know, hits a couple of milestones this year for uh, salary? You should, if you're if you're related now as an uncle, you should you should hit him up for a loan.
3: <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, we'll talk about something different later on this week. I'm gonna pop your uh, brains for something else, but uh, I'm really excited. It's gonna be a great game Saturday. That's a pretty much a pick 'em.
0: There you go. I agree with you. Good job, Eddie Smack. Appreciate the call. Lester Bedford, going to begin our 6 o'clock hour. We're live, Border City Alehouse, with you. Sports talking, 600 ESPN El Paso. Along with Adrian Broadus, Chema, and Uteb Zay. Full house back at our Lubingo studios. I'm Steve Caplow. It's coming your way live out here at the Alehouse. Border City Alehouse, 1506 Lee Trevino. Hanging with you. Getting ready to watch Troy Aikman along with Joe Buck, call the uh, 49ers and the Rams out here uh, in just a little bit. You want to win with us? We're giving away some great prizes at halftime. Just come down and join us, and you can get a chance to watch. It'll uh, be a pretty entertaining football game. And while you're at it, enjoy three, four, dollars pints, $4 fireball, and $5 jack and jack flavors out here at the Ale House. Want to go back to the phones? Joining us on the hotline right now is uh, a man that – I've been talking to uh, on this show for uh, nearly 25 years and very excited that uh, he's been able to help launch a Texas Boxing Hall of Fame for the first time ever. He's Lester Bedford, and he joins us here on Sports Talk to begin our third and final hour. Lester, welcome back. Good to have you. How you doing today?
4: Oh, very good, very good. Thank you. Uh, happy to be on. And we have a new nickname for my next fighter, Fireball. I like that Fireball. <laughs> <laughs> the cheap fireballs there. Okay, so that's my next
0: nickname. I like that. I think that'll be good. And Fireball will be a yeah. good nickname for a fighter, especially if he's got knockout yeah. power and he's and he's active. Fireball will be yeah. perfect. So I like yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Hey, yeah, um, happy to be here. I love this with the Texas Boxing Hall of Fame. Let's just start off by uh, you know, talking about the formation of the hall. How long have you been wanting to help launch a Hall of Fame for boxing in the state of Texas?
4: Well, I'm, I've been in boxing 42 years since about 1981, something like almost 42 years, and I've been involved in over 700 boxing events and 200, world, 200 of which world title fights, so I've seen the uh, the best and the worst that there is in Texas, and and uh, this really is the best state for boxing in the country, in my opinion. There's more uh, live boxing in Texas than any other state, and you know, with uh, uh, we have lots of great boxing markets. El Paso being one of them, and of course, Dallas Fort Worth now with AT and T Stadium on fire, and uh, and San Antonio with the Alamo Dome AT and T Center, and you've got. Uh, uh, Houston with some big fights down there, and Corpus Christi had a bunch along the way. Uh, anyway, it's a, just a great boxing state, El Paso being just one of them. So, um, you know, it's um, it gets frustrating after a while when you watch the International Boxing Hall of Fame. We have 28 world champions from Texas, six are in the Boxing Hall of Fame. And, um, you know, I think there's probably about five more that need to be in there that haven't been honored. But the ones I'm really... Think all along have never been honored that you know they they were exceptional fighters either amateur or pro uh, or a combination of both or they were people who contributed along the way to make boxing great and uh, there's so many contributors like uh, corner people, uh, cut men, uh, trainers, managers, promoters, uh, media, and uh, just so in takes nobody knows, uh, Steve. My friend Steve Kaplowitz, ESPN Radio, is in our list of uh, the Texas Bucking Hall of Fame for the media. So uh, we have several people from uh, El Paso that we're able to honor through this organization. And Steve, you've been one of them for all your all you've done for boxing. You've covered it for 25 years and helped make it a success there in El Paso. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're uh, I've been thinking about it for a long time. Uh, this, you know, it's. These spiders give so much, and you see, them, you see them pour their guts out there. And later on down the road, you see some of them, you know, they paid a big price physically. Maybe they don't walk quite as well. Maybe they maybe they don't talk quite as well or something. And, and But they, they poured their guts out for years for fans. And time now, you know, now the career is over. Let's don't forget about them. Let's honor them.
0: I think it's awesome. I really do. And, by the way, um, you know, just uh, when I first uh, had a chance to hear the news that I was part of this, uh, obviously I was honored, humbled, and something I would never have expected. So I appreciate you uh, just thinking about me and and my colleagues here in El Paso, fighters, media, and and people that you've honored from this city. Um, I'm amazed, Lester, that you went back – over a hundred years to try to put this together and really not just do something that's happened over the course of your 42 years in the sport, but obviously all those years that preceded you, you wanted to make sure that some of Texas' best uh, deserved their place in, uh, you know, in in the hall.
3: Yeah.
4: Oh yeah. We went back all the way to 1908 when Jack Johnson won the world heavyweight championship and uh, became the world heavyweight champion. So you know, uh, so we had a lot of catching up to do, and uh, so we we went back and we found the 100 best fighters in the state of Texas history, approximately right at 100, or maybe 102 or three. We've added some because we actually missed some along the way. When we put the list out, we had some people remind us, and so uh, uh, 100. Of the, uh, we went all the way back. There was a lot of it's very difficult to research those fighters back uh, before about 1950. Uh, we had pretty good. Uh, handle on everything after that. But uh, yeah, we went all the way back and uh, and we honored guys. Uh, you know, the, 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 every era was a little bit different. There were several eras where you know, uh, there was no such thing as boxing in Texas, hardly. Just a little bit here and there. You had a few fighters and, and the Golden Gloves came along and the most relevant thing that happened for many years was the Golden Gloves in Texas and El Paso in Texas and the National Golden Gloves. That was the big tournament. So we put a lot of We put a lot of uh, emphasis on uh, uh, whatever fit the era and uh, about four months of research and talking to, you know, probably 30, 50 people, something like that. And then, and I just put it all in a nice little spreadsheet and there there it is. It's on Texas boxing hall of fame, uh, Facebook. We're working on a website now and uh, we're also working on a permanent location to honor these, uh, these folks. And and we're going to have, uh, induction ceremonies starting next spring and next summer, but we want to get that master list out there. Go back, go back to the beginning. And let's pull out all the ones that we know of that we need to honor. And if we miss somebody, we're going to listen. You know, because uh, we know it's it was a difficult task, and and already we missed about five or six that we're adding to the list this week that were uh, certainly uh, worthy of being being honored. And and we want to be more inclusive than exclusive. We didn't want it just to be world champions. We wanted to be uh, you know, people who had contributed to make the boxing great in the state. And it wasn't just the world champions. There was a lot of great fighters and a lot of great contributors.
0: Lester Bedford with us here on Sports Talk. Well, just to start with the boxers, you have a world champions category. You then have a contenders category. And then, right. um you know you just go from those right then and there, and those are fighters that you know it's good that you you know showed that, hey, if you were able to succeed in boxing, even if you never won a world belt, there's a lot of guys on that list that were number one world rated contenders for a while,
4: oh yeah, a lot of world contenders it was it, it, you know some of them had several tentacles, maybe they were. Uh, you know, they had a, a very good professional career, but they also continued on as a trainer, uh, working with kids over the years. Or they became a referee or a judge or something like that. Right. Some people got in because they had multiple what I call tentacles, and uh, and um, yeah, a lot of we had a lot of outstanding fighters. Uh, and, you know, in, in El Paso as an example, Jennifer Jennifer Hahn was an easy one because if you're a world champion, you're automatically in or an Olympian and we indicated that on our list. So that was, uh, we We actually started with the world champions and Olympians, and we started building a list around it. And But you had some really, really good fighters there in El Paso. You know, along the way, you had Antonio Escalante, who was number one in the world at one time, and uh, was the uh, uh, NABO champion. Bernie Morales, who was a world-rated contender, and they fought for the world title. And he was the NABF champion, WBA America's champion. And you had a uh, uh, Jake Martinez who initially I thought we were going to put him in there because he was a 40 year official. He was, a, he had refereed, he had judged and he had kept time and professional boxing and amateur boxing, and heavy in golden gloves. But then I got started researching. He was a three time Texas golden gloves champion and the national golden gloves champion. So, you know, it's a, uh, uh, and that's one that we almost missed. There's a Jorge Munoz that was a national AAU champion, national Golden Gloves champion, three-time Texas Golden Gloves champion from El Paso back in the 50s. And he had Juan Lascano, uh, who was a terrific fighter out of El Paso, that uh, world-rated contender and top five in the world, had a uh, world title challenger, he was NABF champion, won Texas Golden Gloves. Uh, you know, he was a ter- he was a terrific fighter, had a couple of signature wins uh, over, um, um, let's see, Jesse James Leha, the former world, two-time world champion, and uh, also, uh, was it Stevie Johnson?
0: Wait. Yeah, it was Stevie Johnson. He, yep. Yeah, Absolutely. Stevie
4: Johnson, yep. another world champion. So so Juan had two wins of world champions. And you had uh, Pete Melendez from El Paso. And uh, Pete was a two-time National Golden Gloves champion, 2 times was a champion. He won the national Golden gloves back in the fifties when it was it was the hardest tournament in the world to win. Damn near. He didn't have much of a pro career, but didn't matter because he had such a great amateur career. And then, um, yeah, Ross Purity, uh, who fought for the um, uh, maybe the best known heavyweight. I mean, the least known, the best of the least known heavyweights in Texas history uh, from El Paso was a football player right there at uh, at UTEP and and uh ross was a ross was a great one he uh WBA international champion he knocked out Vladimir klitschko when he was 22 and 0 uh, the former world heavyweight champion well ross purity from el paso texas knocked him out and uh he had a he had a great he had a great career so that's your fighters right there from uh, from el paso and not very many of them but this hey this is a fairly exclusive group you know it's uh uh, there's been a lot of great fighters come out of El Paso, but that's the best, the best in El Paso. And then, uh, you know, and I. Um, so that that's. Uh, and then, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll just tell you who all are, who we all we have as officials out of. Uh, we got officials, uh, Jerry L. Wright, many years a judge, and referee, uh, amateur professional, worked multiple world title bouts, was a head referee of the Golden Gloves, 40 years in boxing. We got. Uh, let me see who else here we, and. Um, uh, then we, uh, uh, oh, oh, oh! <laughs> I almost forgot. Um, um, we had uh, also a junior Belen- Vincencio, uh, You know, had the Golden Gloves for many years there in El Paso, and uh, and I didn't realize that uh, he. You know, we, we all knew he was a uh, worked as an official for many years too, professional and amateur boxing. But he was a three-time Texas Golden Gloves champion. When it was a damn tough tournament, man, it, it's it's hard now. But back then, when, when junior was a junior was a three time Texas Golden Globe champion, it was really difficult. So he could have gone in as official or a fighter, but we we got him in as official. But uh, we also honored him for uh, for being a what we call a contributor, and uh, uh, he was the one uh, contributor that we had from El Paso the most relevant, and then then. And uh, from the media, we got the, we got the great Steve Kaplowitz. All right. <laughs> uh, and then we got the Bill Knight from the El Paso times, uh, a lot of great coverage for 35, 40 years for boxing. Uh, and, and, you know, just a terrific writer. And, uh, and really, and uh, also Matt Aguilar, probably 20, 25 years of covering boxing. Now he's covered on the national scene as well. And, uh, a great photographer from El Paso for the El Paso Times for many years and uh, shot many, many, uh, every big fight in El Paso. Uh, Ruben Ramirez. So El Paso is well represented.
0: It really is. We're with Lester Bedford right now. He is uh, the organizer. He has founded the uh, Texas Boxing Hall of Fame. Were you by yourself with this, or did you have others that were co-founders with you on the project?
4: Well, uh, my the co-founder is. Uh, my co-founder is uh george foreman jr we be- we became friends. I worked with uh George senior on several of his fights along the way and then and then uh worked with um, uh George Jr. and doing some things in texas with uh with with his dad and so you know we were talking one day and I said, hey, man, I need somebody to somebody to." To get involved in the Texas Boxing Hall of Fame with me, he said, Let me, "Hey, I'm in. Count me in." And uh, he he kept calling me and bugging me, saying, "Hey, I want to I want to be involved in this thing. Let's get it started." So, so he was a huge help in us getting the uh, all the the uh, nonprofit organization stuff uh, settled with the state of Texas. We're a nonprofit corporation through the state of Texas, and uh, and George has uh, been instrumental in helping in different ways. But we've got several people that stepped up and helped us build this list and and uh, make suggestions and and um, um, and so you know it's, yeah no I didn't do it by myself I did a lot of work but but uh, and it was you know kind of my idea initially maybe others had thought of it maybe somebody else would come along with their own boxing hall of fame but uh, this is going to be a good one and and I think it's going to stick around for a long time we're going to honor them the right way. And so, um, I, I don't know why anybody else would want to start one, start their own, but they can. If they don't like our list, they can start their own, you know?
0: <laughs> I have got a feeling that since this has never been done until now, uh, more than likely this will be the list. And uh, you went and put together uh, every city represented in the state of Texas, every fighter, everybody connected with boxing. And I know you're also going to be going from city to city, and kind of honoring those that are in the hall over the course of uh, the next few years as you get a chance to really continue to put this together.
4: Yes. Uh, Yes, one of the things we want to do is an induction ceremony in every city. Instead of just taking the the top five, seven fighters and and inducting them and going from and backing into it, now we want to go to Dallas. uh, These people in the Texas Boxing Hall of Fame we don't want them to have to wait twelve, fifteen years. We're a hundred years behind, so it was important to go ahead. Uh, from my standpoint, you know, having watched NFL, uh, NBA basketball, Major League Baseball, those Hall of Fame guys sit around for ten, fifteen, twenty years, thirty years, you know, waiting for their name to be called and not never, never knowing if they're ever going to be honored in any way. So, you know, it's not enough to be nominated, or uh, you know. Let's we're already behind her years. Let's go ahead and get these people who deserve to be in there many years ago. Let's get them in now. That's right. And uh, that's right. And then we'll then we'll take then then everybody can have that designation with their friends and their family and everybody that's in Texas Boxing Hall of Fame and and uh, and we'll get them in into a, an induction ceremony as we go and we'll do that in different various cities so that so that the people in El Paso don't have to come to Dallas or San Antonio or you know per se to go to a Hall of Fame event. Uh, In this way, their friends and family can share in it and they can just be right there.
0: I got one last question, and then we're going to wrap things up with you today, Lester. When are we going to see the next big fight card come to El Paso?
4: Uh, You will. You know, it keeps going. It just keeps going. And uh, sometimes we have some long pauses. And and believe me, I mean, I've been helping facilitate – been uh, there in El Paso for major promoters for many years since 1988, and uh, and um, and you know so it's been you know it's uh, you build it they will come and, and and El Paso built it many years ago. I mean they've been a great uh, boxing market and and I would expect to see something there sooner than later. I mean you know I'm working on talking to somebody about uh, uh, with a promoter now about doing an event and let's get those. El Paso Boxing Hall of Fame members are over there. And so um, I think you'll see something before too long, probably after the first year from just talking with various promoters. But El Paso still very viable. still a great fight town.
0: Love that. Love hearing that. And, uh, listen, uh, congratulations again. Uh, I'm uh, just honored to be part of it. But uh, more than anything, I know there's a lot of people that are big fight fans in El Paso excited that this is now – uh, formed and looking forward to seeing uh, the Texas Boxing Hall of Fame get a permanent home and continue to grow. That's what it's all about, Lester.
4: Oh yeah, oh yeah. We're working on the website now, and uh, we do have a Facebook page. It's uh, Texas Boxing Hall of Fame on Facebook, and uh, we're working on we're working on a website, and uh, and sooner than later, hopefully, we'll have a permanent home for it. And uh, we're working with the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco. That's uh, uh, has a great Hall of Fame for the state of Texas, and we're uh, going give us some space there, hopefully, and and uh, we're working towards that. And, but we'll be in El Paso for too long.
0: Terrific! I look forward to talking to you then. In the meantime, congratulations! Thanks again, Lester, and we appreciate you giving us the time as always and joining us on the show tonight.
4: Yes, and thank you, Hall of Famer Steve Kaplan.
0: I appreciate that. <laughs> I love it. All right, he's Lester Bedford. He joins us here as we continue. Uh, at about 22 now past the hour. Rams are driving against the 49ers. We'll give you an update on that as we go to Charlie 1 to get this traffic update. Here on Sports Talk. Currently, the Monday night game is about five minutes in. Rams got an early field goal. But, Adrian, if you're a Rams fan, you got to be pretty happy with Matt Stafford in the first drive. 7 of 7, 52 yards and it ends on a Matt Gay 39-yard field goal.
1: Yeah, Steve, first off, this, uh, this game, as a Rams fan, I, I understand how big of a game this one is for L.A. Uh, in trying to just bolster their record a little bit more. Nice opening drive by uh, Matt Stafford. I would like to see them score a touchdown on that drive instead, but, uh, hey, three points, I'll take
0: it. I figured you would. Um, speaking of being able to take it, I think Conrad will probably tell you that he'll take it for the Cowboys winning their last three after falling uh, in their first game of the season. Conrad joins us next here on Sports Talk as we continue live from Border City Alehouse where fans are piling in here at 1506 Lee Trevino getting ready to uh, enjoy the Rams and 49ers with us. Conrad, good to have you back on the show. How are you today?
8: Hey Steve, how are you doing my friend?
0: I'm doing well, Conrad. How about you?
8: Pretty good. So, uh, you know, I'm gonna ask you, Tunnel of Love by Bruce Springsteen or uh, Shout Out the Devil by Molly Crew right now. What would you pick on the jukebox?
0: Uh oh, I actually like Tunnel of Love but I love Shout Out the Devil. They're great songs. <laughs> I mean I guess I guess it just depends on yeah. um the mood, the venue, and for me, like yeah. uh, you know, what happens? Like if I'm if I'm doing it after a uh after the Mets just got swept by the uh by the Braves, probably shout at the devil. If I'm doing it at the uh Jets, finding a way to knock yeah. off the Steelers in Pittsburgh, yeah, Tuddle of Love. There you go. So it just yeah. depends yeah. on what we're talking about, right? That
8: was, that was that that was awesome. Congratulations on that, man. I hate the Steelers. <laughs> so awesome. Great win, man. Great win.
0: I appreciate uh, that. Thank you.
8: Yeah, as far as the Cowboys, I mean you know, I know we're four games in, but I'm going to tell you this defense has been consistent. You know, 19 uh, against the uh, Buccaneers. Uh, you know, 16 Giants uh, yesterday. I, I I guess what was it? 10 against the Redskins. You know, you know what you're going to get with the defense. This is the this is the type of defense that can get you the NFC Championship. Yep. You know, so let's see what's going to happen on the offensive side of the ball. You now, know, um,
0: let me ask you. Let me ask you about the offensive side of the ball, because the Cowboys with Cooper Rush are a totally different type of offense than the Cowboys with Dak Prescott. And, what, and the way I've described Cooper Rush is he is the perfect game manager. Makes the passes when he needs to, converts, doesn't make a lot of mistakes. But on the flip side, you know, he'll be tested much more in the next two weeks when he gets to go up against the Rams and Eagles.
8: Yeah, you got it. You got it. And I, and I, you know. He He's obviously a slow starter. I mean, the past yeah. two games that we've had against the Giants, against the the uh, Commander, it's hard for me to say Commanders, but Commanders, um, you know, he's he's been a slow starter. And, uh, you know, I, you, yeah, I I don't know if that's the kind of guy you want to take into the playoffs. I don't know. I mean, I know Dak can't win in the playoffs. I mean, we've already got that experience from him seven years. He hasn't done anything. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. You know, Zeke, Zeke's not the same guy that he was seven years ago. I mean, he just runs up the middle, and, you know, you don't see anything else from him. I don't know why Kellen Moore doesn't put the running backs, Pollard and, and Zeke, more into the, you know, try to get them involved in the passing game more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, you like you said, we're going to see what we got with the Rams and the Eagles. I predicted the Cowboys would go 5-12 and 12 this year and they're three and one. So obviously I I think I'm pretty wrong on on that aspect, you know.
0: No, I hear you. And 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 the truth is, yeah, you're 100% right. I mean, it's just it, it's something that people didn't expect and I guess maybe it's a, a a pleasant surprise. That's the best way to put the UTEP football the uh, the Dallas Cowboys uh season at least to start off. They they've, they've exceeded expectations for a lot of people. You, me, and probably every Cowboy fan after what happened early on.
8: Yeah, and, and you know what? And Hey, man, you know, I'm going to be at my dad's. Unfortunately, uh, I don't think I've said this on air. My mom passed away uh, back in March.
0: Oh, man, uh, my condolences.
8: Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, she passed away from a heart attack. Oh. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the thing that me and my dad have always had was, you know, watching the games and sports and the minors and everything. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be there watching the game, watching the rounds with him on Sunday.
0: Well, I'm happier with your dad. Again, our thoughts are to with you, your father, and the family after uh, your mom. But you know what? Sometimes, especially after uh, the loss of a loved one, sports is a good way to help heal and bring people together. So I'm happy you guys are getting a chance to do that. Good for you. Thanks, man. All right, Conrad. Talk to you later. Conrad enjoying himself right now. and. I like the jukebox options every time he throws them at me, Adrian. It's nice because I like "Tunnel of Love" from Bruce Springsteen, especially there's a part in the middle of the song that's just a great—it's uh, a great, uh, you know, part of that uh, part of that tune. But then again, man. Motley Crew, shout out to Devil. That's one of the all-time greats.
1: I love the fact that you worked in uh, scenarios for both your teams. One, at the high point with the Jets, by the way, uh, Zach Wilson looked sharp yesterday and stopped any kind of a comeback by Kenny Pickett. Yep. Uh, and then you also included, of course, the Mets. Uh, yeah, sad to see them uh, get swept by the the Braves. Are, are you, Steve, real quick, I know we got SportsCenter, but are you a Mets fan right now that's saying, hey, I get it, the Braves have just surged throughout the last stretch? Or are you pointing the finger at the Mets saying, hey, they should have they should have got this done a lot uh, sooner and won this division.
0: Yeah, listen, they've had a great season. The Braves have had a great season. But the fact is the Mets pitchers lined up against the best Mets pitchers lined up against the best Braves pitchers, and the Braves swept them, Adrian. They swept them. Yeah, you're definitely right, and they're
1: playing their best baseball
0: right now when they it are. matters, when it they're really peaking. matters. They're peaking, and I'll tell you right now, Mets are going to get the Padres I'm not, um, that's that's going to be a very, very tough first round for them, and for all I know, the Mets might not be able to survive the Padres in the first round of the postseason.
1: Yeah, li- both teams with uh, little playoff experience as of late, recently, you know, when yep. you talk about these two clubs, uh, and then the winner of that series ends up getting the
0: Dodgers, so
1: I mean, talk, I about, talk about a tough task ahead of both teams.
0: It's very, very tough. You're 100% right on that, so don't worry, I'm happy you asked that question to me, and we can get to Sports Center right now, but it's a very valid question. It deserves to be asking uh, asked as we continue here. 33 now uh, past the hour, so we've got a little less than a half an hour left before we wrap things up. Um, and we'll, of course, talk a little baseball with you in our final portion of the show. I know Chema's just chomping at the bit to get in on her Dodgers, so we'll do that as well. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues. Does Aaron Judge get to 62 tonight? We'll find out. I believe he's batting right now for the Yankees leading off the sixth as Sports Talk continues, 600 ESPN El Paso. Adrian, thank you very much. As we continue here on Sports Talk, if you're uh, wondering about Aaron Judge here leading off the sixth inning um, against Perez, well, uh, as of now, let me see. Yankees are up 1-0. And I believe Judge is one for three. Okay, one for three. Got a single in his last at-bat. But so far, Martin Perez has pitched terrific. Six innings of five-hit, one-run ball um, against the Yanks. And uh, Judge has already batted three times. So we'll see. He'll get probably get a fourth at-bat around the eighth or ninth inning, Adrian, depending on how things go. But right now, one for three. Is Aaron Judge uh, so far here uh, tonight. And by the way, let's get back to what Joe was saying. Playing with pressure. How much pressure do you think is on Aaron for this series, knowing this is the last chance he has this regular season to go out and hit uh 62. You
1: know that's a great point. The pressure is there, and I think he hears the pressure every single day from media members. I, I think that's one of the things right there where you're looking at Aaron Judge, who's getting asked every single day about this. He's, he's seeing it every single day on social media. Imagine all that kind of pressure right there. It's got to be, uh, you know, mountains on his shoulder right there that he's got to he's got to kind of you know maneuver through.
0: Oh, absolutely right, absolutely. Meanwhile, Wilson just scored. Uh, The go-ahead touchdown uh, for San Francisco on a nice, about a 20-yard run, give or take. 49ers now lead 7-7-3 over the Rams. This is a chance to be a really entertaining football game tonight, Adrian. I like these two teams. Yeah, my problem with the Rams' defense,
1: Steve, is uh, while they're good in in the pass game, they've got holes in the rushing game, and I think the 49ers can expose those holes. I think they're going to be able to run against the Rams today without uh, some of these early game adjustments, and it's up to the Rams to clamp down defensively. They rely so heavily on their standouts and Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, but when it comes to stopping the run, that's where sometimes they – they're a little shaky.
0: Well, you're right. Jeff Wilson just had a 32-yard touchdown run, and Garoppolo went 4-5 for 44 yards. I mean, I don't think this is going to be quite uh, Detroit-Seattle this has a chance to, you know, these two teams have a chance to score some points, don't they? I think so
1: and I think both sides have shown that they have defenses that can stop. Both of them have shown that they have uh, low scoring outputs as we've seen earlier this year, but uh, these two teams love to score a lot of points whenever they clash. Uh, It's two teams that know each other very well. In fact, I would say that most of the players on the the current roster, they probably remember that NFC Championship game which both these teams played in uh, and the Rams edged out the 49ers, so Hey, San Fran probably wants a little revenge from that loss.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. Um, meanwhile, just a few days left in the baseball season. Dodgers currently have 110 wins as they wrap things up uh, today with the Rockies. And, uh, you know, their season is about to uh, – Dodger season will end uh, later this week when they finish things off uh, with Colorado. It's kind of interesting. They play a six-game set with Colorado. Six games at Dodger Stadium. Chema. how many wins do you think the Dodgers will finish up with when it's all said and done? They're 110-49 and right now.
2: You know what, Steve? I want to say
0: 113. Oh, you think they're going to win out? Yes. Wow. I do. Well, you know, the record for uh, most wins in a season is 106. So the Dodgers have already shattered the franchise record for most wins in a season. How impressive is that?
2: I'm very impressive. I was actually, I'm still impressed. It's crazy how this Dodger team is.
0: Uh, yeah, you're going to be impressed. But let, let's be honest, though. When you're this good, if you don't win the World Series, Chema, it's a disappointment no matter how you look at the regular season, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I agree. It's going to be a disappointment if they don't win, especially they're a powerhouse team right now. Yep. Everyone's red hot.
0: They and, are built, yeah. They're built. They're built to win in the playoffs.
2: Definitely. So yeah,
0: hundred percent right. Hundred percent right. So uh, we'll see if it happens or not. But anyway, yeah. And by the way, how about uh, Albert Pujols over the weekend passing Babe Ruth for second on the all-time RBI list? That's another great little uh, milestone that kind of went unnoticed because we're all talking about Judge, but passing Ruth in RBI is pretty impressive for that career. How about that all-time uh, RBI list? Albert Pujols second before his career is over incredible so
2: yeah speaking uh, about Pujols he also just hit um home run number 703
0: he hit another one huh man what a story he's been uh the second half for St. Louis incredible so Albert uh, just continuing his onslaught to finish the season he's batting 269 right now and 24 home runs this year is pretty remarkable when we come back Final countdown, had a chance to go watch UTEP basketball practice over the weekend. I'll tell you what I saw. Adrian and I will compare notes next as Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso.